Today's reading is from 2 Samuel chapter 13, verses 1 to 22. It's on page 264 of your church Bible. Now Absalom, David's son, had a beautiful sister whose name was Tamar. And after a time, Amnon, David's son, loved her. And Amnon was so tormented that he made himself ill because of his sister Tamar, for she was a virgin. And it seemed impossible to Amnon to do anything to her. But Amnon had a friend whose name was Jonadab, the son of Shimea, David's brother. And Jonadab was a very crafty man. And he said to him, O son of the king, why are you so agged morning after morning? Will you not tell me? Amnon said to him, I love Tamar, my brother Absalom's sister. Jonadab said to him, Lie down on your bed and pretend to be ill. And when your father comes to see you, say to him, Let my sister Tamar come and give me bread to eat and prepare the food in my sight that I may see it and eat it from her hand. So Amnon lay down and pretended to be ill. And when the king came to see him, Amnon said to the king, Please, let my sister Tamar come and make a couple of cakes in my sight, that I may eat from her hand. Then David sent home to Tamar, saying, Go to your brother Amnon's house and prepare food for him. So Tamar went to her brother Amnon's house, where he was laying down, and she took dough and kneaded it and made cakes in his sight and baked the cakes. And she took the pan and emptied it out before him, but he refused to eat. And Amnon said, Send out everyone from me. So everyone went out from him. Then Amnon said to Tamar, Bring the food into the chamber that I may eat from your hand. And Tamar took the cake she had made and brought them into the chamber to Amnon her brother. But when she brought them near him to eat, he took hold of her hand and said to her, Come lie with me, my sister. She answered him, No, my brother, do not violate me, for such a thing is not done in Israel. Do not do this outrageous thing. As for me, where could I carry my shame? And as for you, you would be as one of the outrageous fools in Israel. Now therefore, please speak to the king, for he will not withhold from you. And he would not listen to her. And being stronger than she, he violated her and lay with her. Then Amon hated her with very great hatred, so that the hatred with which he hated her was greater than the love with which he had loved her. And Amnon said to her, Get up, go. But she said to him, No, my brother, for this wrong in sending me away is greater than the other that you did to me. But he would not listen to her. He called the young man who served him and said, Put this woman out of my presence and bolt the door after her. But now she was wearing a long robe with sleeves, for thus were the virgin daughters of the king dressed. So his servant put her out and bolted the door after her. And Tamar put ashes on her head and tore the long robe that she wore. And she laid her hand on her head and went away crying aloud as she went. 
and her brother Absalom said to her, Has Amnon your brother been with you? Now hold your peace, my sister. He is your brother. Do not take this to heart. So Tamar lived a desolate woman in her brother Absalom's house. When King David heard of all these things, he was very angry. But Absalom spoke to Amnon, neither good nor bad, for Absalom hated Amnon because he had violated his sister Tamar. Please keep your Bibles open so we continue to learn from the passage. Uh, we will continue to read uh, from 2 Samuel 13, from verse 23 up to 29, and then we will jump to 37 and read to the end. Verse 23. After two full years, Absalom had sheep shearers at Bilhazel, which is near Ephraim. And Absalom invited all the king's sons. And Absalom came to the king and said, Behold, your servant has sheep shearers. Please let the king and his servants go with your servant. But the king said to Absalom, No, my son, let us not all go, lest we be burdensome to you. He pressed him, but he would not go, but gave him his blessing. Then Absalom said, If not, please let my brother Amnon go with us. And the king said to him, Why should he go with you? But Absalom pressed him until he let Amnon and all the king's sons go with him. Then Absalom commanded his servants, Mark. Then Absalom commanded his servants, Mark when Amnon's heart is merry with wine, and when I say to you, strike Amnon, then kill him. Do not fear. Have I not commanded you? Be courageous and valiant. So the servants of Absalom did to Amnon as Absalom had commanded. Then all the king's sons arose, and each mounted his mule and fled. Go down to verse 37. <coughs> but Absalom fled and went to Talmai, the son of Amihud, king of Geshur. And David mourned for his son day after day. So Absalom fled and went to Geshur and was there for three years. And the spirit of the king longed to go out to Absalom because he was comforted but about Amnon, since he was dead. Please keep your Bibles open. Thanks, George. And I think our children are going to disappear. I'm just going to set up a couple of changes here, and then I'll carry on. Uh, folks, let's uh, look at that little part of the Bible. It is uh, quite a hard bit to look at, uh, but we'll... Uh, see what we can learn and especially let me ask you all you rich people in Dagenham which is where all the rich people live uh, let me ask you what will you pass on as your inheritance now I take it that if you had a fortune you'd love to pass on the fortune but you may not have a fortune 
what you will pass on, for sure, are your flaws. Now, I'm not saying that because I want to blame who I am on my parents, but I do want to understand my children. And we're going to see that in this chapter where there was a dad and he had two sons and he passed on all his flaws to them. And we're going to learn about each one in turn. One's called Abnon and the other's called Absalom. And the first thing we discover about Amnon is that he is a man of lust. Now in verse 1, he passed it off as love because now Absalom's son, uh, David, uh, Absalom David's son had a beautiful sister whose name was Tamar. And after time, Amnon, David's son, loved her. So you might say, that's love. We'll see later that that love that is masquerading as love is going to be last, and we're going to be seeing that unmasked pretty soon. But he's just like his dad. Because his dad fancied a woman in chapter 11, and he took her with lust. And now Amnon's going to do the same thing. And he's a chip off the old block. Uh, he uh, ultimately uh, goes after uh, a woman that he sees is attractive as well. But he can't do anything about that in verse 2 until his mate Jonadab turns up in verse 3 and asks him, what's the matter in verse 4? And David says he fancies his sister. At that point, Jonadab should have screamed out, no! Because there are some relationships that we shouldn't go near. And the Bible tells us that incest is one of them. Now you discover in verse 3 that John Jab is a crafty man. That's Bible speak for someone who's clever but not godly. And what you find out is that instead of doing the godly thing, if you want to be wise... Uh, there's a lovely little bit of the Bible that would have helped him to be wise. All he had to do was to tell his mate Amnon, Proverbs 5.20, Why should you be intoxicated, my son, with a forbidden woman? That would have been a great thing for him to say. And there are certain things that, frankly, you and me, we shouldn't be intoxicated by forbidden loves, if I can put it like that. If you're a married bloke, shouldn't be intoxicated by any other woman, pardon me, wife. If you're a Christian single, don't be intoxicated by love for any non-Christians. If you're gay, don't be intoxicated by love for a same-sex relationship. Why? Because when we are intoxicated by love like that, it always ends up in a train crash. And that's what Jonadab, the crafty man, should have realized. But what it reveals to us is that when you get a bloke with fantastic gifts, and this guy was clever, but when a person's gifts aren't wrapped up in godliness, it ends up in a train smash for the people he serves. And that's exactly what happened. He doesn't say that. What he does is he takes the brakes off 
and he engineers a meeting. That's not to say that actually he's green-lighting rape. It could be that Amnon took things far too far, or John Dad was doing was getting the two together, but he shouldn't even have done that. But when it happens, then what happens with Amnon is that the brakes come off, and sadly, the end result of that is he takes and he hates. The first thing he does is he takes Tamar, his sister. That's why it's a forbidden relationship. You will notice right throughout, every time Tamar's name is mentioned, it is his sister. Hands off! No, he takes hands on. And I like the way that uh, uh, the uh, little cartoon that we've got up there has big eyes. Because, remember a couple of weeks ago I said how when uh, temptation comes, it comes through the eyes. You look at stuff and that's when you want to do things that are not altogether brilliant. Whereas wisdom comes not by what you see but from what you hear. I see that happening in this passage as well. First, Amnon sees with his eyes that Absalom had a beautiful sister, verse 1. But that beautiful sister has spadefuls of wisdom in verse 12. He should be listening to her because what she's saying is brilliant. She says, look, this is wrong. <coughs> Think of what it'll do to me in verse 13. Think of what it'll do to you. And if he'd listened, he'd have stopped. But instead, he takes. That is what lust does. If you want a simple definition for lust, it is you want sex without a relationship. That's exactly what Amnon has. And when that is over, when the lust, when he takes and that's done, then in verse 15 he hates. He hates her with a very great hatred. Lust is always followed by loathing, not love. Which is why it's always a helpful thing. There's bags of psychological wisdom here where people who jump the gun and where um, sex comes into early, usually it isn't followed by close love, often by great hate. And that's exactly what happens here. And he hates her. And all he's got to say to her is in verse 15 at the end, get up, go. And when he calls his attendant in, in verse 17, uh, we've got um, uh, more words here than the Hebrew has. The Hebrew has just three words that he tells the attendant, put this out, as if she was rubbish. And then he wants the door bolted against her as if Amnon's the one who's in danger from her. He's protecting. Bolted door. And that happens. And no wonder she goes home in verse 19 crying the way she does. 
she feels like she's been trashed because she has and that is awful but there is one thing more than the lust that takes and the lust that then hates and that is when all that <coughs> happens and there is absolutely no justice you look at uh, verse 21 and uh, you'll see how when David heard about all these things he was very angry that's good but keep looking at verse 21 and he does nothing it ends there that's bad see Amnon is the king's son the next in line to the throne and he gets away with it my guess is he has got away with that kind of thing before and David has done nothing. I'm guessing that because when Absalom uh, he sees his sister come home and she's uh, really upset, he asks, uh, has Amnon, your brother, been with you? That speaks volumes for his reputation, I reckon. And yet nothing has been done. Keep quiet and nothing will happen. I want to suggest to you that there is something worse than bad things happening. <coughs> and what's worse than bad things happening is when nothing then happens about that. There is no justice. Nothing gets put right. Now I'm only setting you up because the next few chapters that are going to come after this, they're going to show you how justice is important big time. This is just the start of it. But from now on, without justice, things are going to go down uh, downhill a whole lot more and things are going to get a whole lot worse. And so, you see that not just in the chapters to come, but in the rest of this chapter, because what happens next is after you get Amnon's lust, you get Absalom's anger. Which again, when you meet it in verse 23, uh, has a little bit of a masquerade of love around it in the sense that he's going to have a big feast and he wants the whole family to come. What a lovely thing to do, a loving thing to do, you might say. It's been a big sheep shearing. It's a kind of harvest thing and, well, he's obviously got a lot to be happy about, so he's going to throw this mega big feast and so he invites the, whole, the king and the whole royal court to come along in verse 24. And he says, uh, Behold, your servant has sheep shearers. Please let the king and his servants go with your servants. That's a crafty request because frankly he knows that it's not going to happen. The king will turn him down in verse 25. That's a whole lot too much to ask. I'm not going to put all that on you, Absalom, says King David. Oh, but that's okay. We'll let Amnon stand in uh, as the next in line to the throne. He can represent you at the feast. Now, that would be a good idea, wouldn't it? And poor Amnon's got no choice but to go, because after all, he is the king's rep at that time. And what's there to be worried about? Because all the other king's sons are going to be there as well. David's got nothing against them, so they're all going to be there at the feast. Uh, Absalom's got nothing against them. They're all going to be there at the feast. And 
And for two years, Absin's not done anything, so the coast is clear, everything's going to be okay. But we are allowed to listen in on the briefing at verse 28. That is a military command operation. And he gets his uh, uh, soldiers together. It's like that. And he says, when I give you the signal, you strike. And that's exactly what took place. When Amnon's guard was fully down, he might have been slightly cagey at the start, but after a few bevies, he's all right. And he's chilled. And then the command comes. Strike him, and the knives are out and doing their work. Now I want to ask you, when you see that happening to Amnon, how does that make you feel? Do you think, you know, that's not such a bad thing. He did have it coming to him. If only we had a few more fixits like that, there'd be a whole fewer rapes in the country. Why don't we have a little bit of uh, uh, justice? At least we've got that in the story now, haven't we? And that's a good thing, isn't it? You caught yourself feeling like that a little bit? I'm not feeling too sorry for Amnon at this point. Is that you? But think about it. If you buy into a system of justice like that, what you're really buying into is a system of reprisal without restraint. Do whatever you want to pay them back. You live in a world like that. And every stage is going to go worse and worse and worse. Ah, rape is evil, don't get me wrong. But it's not death sentence, is it? And so that is how things then escalate in the wrong direction. And justice is still not done. Because it's excessive justice. <coughs> Well, what happens is everybody legs it, and Absalom finds his way to Termai, which is his granddad's place on his mum's side, his maternal grandmother, is the king there. He's out of David's reach, but really he needn't have worried because David's not out to get him, because David's now missing him. After all, he's got one son dead, why does he want to lose two sons? Absalom is now next in line to the throne. And so he longs for justice. Uh, he longs for Ab Absalom to come, which is no justice. We'll put it behind us. He can come home. At least that's what David wants. Now, let me stop there and draw some threads together and say, what can we learn about this kind of thing today? What happens if you're new to a church? You come off our estate maybe, and, or maybe you're listening to this on our website and you're wondering, what is going on in this part of the Bible? I bet you're surprised that this sort of stuff goes on in the Bible. Rape? Murder? Is that what you go to church to find out about? It is interesting, isn't it? The Bible doesn't hold back in telling us what real life is like. 
And as it does that, it is inviting us to think about it. To think about the fact that there are bad things that are going on, really bad things that are going on. The Bible is in touch with the headlines that you get today. But there is one thing worse than bad things going on, and that is when bad things go on and there is absolutely no justice to put those bad things right. Because human justice ultimately is not justice. It will either be too lenient, like David, who does nothing, or it will be excessive, like Absalom, who goes into literally overkill. See, in the end, vengeance in our hands will bear all the hallmarks of our own sinfulness when we take it into our hands to repay. Which is why I want to suggest that one of the most attractive promises in the Bible that you find is that wonderful promise that God makes when he says, Vengeance is mine and I will repay, says the Lord. And I want to hold in front of your eyes this fantastic Bible promise of God who one day will come and bring perfect justice into his world. Because I tell you, our hearts long for it. It is interesting, I think there's something like 28 years that uh, the Liverpool people wanted justice following the Hillsborough disaster. You could see that ecstatic jubilation when the court finally <coughs> gave them the justice that they wanted. Friends, multiply that a million trillion times over with all the injustices of the world that are far greater in some cases than what happened at Hillborough. That is the world the Bible wants us to long for. That is the word that Jesus wanted us to long for when he said, when you pray, when you talk to God, the first thing you say, the first thing you ask for is, may your kingdom come. You're calling on a God who can deliver justice on that scale. And the reason why the Bible puts that promise in front of you is he wants you to trust in that God, to long for him to come. The great promise of the future the Bible gives to us is not that God is going to settle you in five-star accommodation when you die, so you get a nice little private knees up when you finally meet with God in heaven. That is not what the Bible puts in front of us. The Bible puts in front of us a world where there is finally no evil and where all past evil has been completely, fairly and completely dealt with. That is the God who draws us into trusting his promises. If you're someone new, be drawn to a God who holds in front of you a kingdom like that. But what happens if you're churchy? What happens if you've knocked around church circles and you think, okay, fine, well, these guys did murder and uh, lust. They were angry and lustful in that kind of way. I'm not into that kind of mega crime. 
So let me catch up with the series. Uh, I've forgotten the uh, buttons to press. But let's come into uh, the world where uh, we uh, think there's no justice and God promises there will be. We'll come now also into the world of church where we don't think we're that bad. We don't do lust. We don't do anger. At least not in that big way. Do we? Why don't we? Want, want me to tell you? Well, just think about it. Amnon didn't do what he did because he couldn't in verse 2. That's what he says. And Amnon was so tormented that he made himself over because of his sister, for it seemed impossible to do anything to her. So in other words, he had no opportunity. But whence his brainy bloke mate came along called Jonadab and made it possible for him to go with what he planned to do, then he went ahead and did it. Friend, why is it that you and I don't do these headline things? I'll tell you the honest answer. We're no different to these people in the Bible. We just don't get as much opportunity. We look at church people, we think they're respectable, don't we? I bet you're looking at me and you're thinking, well, that's a respectable bloke. That's because you don't know what I have got up to. And you certainly don't know what I would have got up to had I half a chance. The only reason I haven't gone further than I have is because I've just not had the opportunity. We never, never look down our nose at anybody. Because frankly, there is probably nothing in the world that we would not do if conditions were right and the opportunity was there. We need to be very humble as church people and we are often so arrogant thinking we're better than others. <laughs> so, the only reason why we haven't is because no one's given us the chance more times than not. But what happens if you're someone who is a real believer and actually you've been on the receiving end of anger, of maybe being exploited sexually and you've been on the receiving end of that? What's the lesson that we can learn? Isn't it true that the lesson that we can learn is that the bad things that happen to us are not the worst things that can happen to us? Let me explain by that, what I mean by that. The bad things that happen to us certainly spoil our lives. No denying that, okay? But the bigger damage it does, it's not the bad thing itself, but the way it then works inside of us to want to get our own back and to want revenge on the people who've done us wrong. Let me tell you a story about uh, uh, my son David. Uh, once upon a time he got picked on by three blokes. Uh, the gang leader uh, started first and uh, David, uh, our son, had him on the floor and um, 
uh, the guy couldn't do anything. So he called his two mates to join. Three of them got David off and uh, hit David once or twice. David came home and I said, David, that's a, or, that's a bad thing that happened to you. But be careful, or what I call the principle, at least I started to think about it then, and I called it this ever since. Be careful of the principle of the double strike, the second strike. The first strike is someone hits you in the face. There's nothing you can do about that. That's, that's happened. But the greater damage is if you, in your heart, start wanting and start daydreaming what you will do to them in return for that, should you catch that bloke again. That will eat you up more than any superficial external injury will do. That will make you a hollow man because it will you'll be consumed by hatred. That's why the Bible tells us at the end of Romans chapter 12 that the best thing to do is to love our enemy. You know how healing will come to you if you've been hurt? By simply trusting what the Bible tells us in Romans chapter 12, I imagine that small print, you may not be able to read it, I'll read it out aloud for you. It says, that promise I told you about earlier, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. So to the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing you will heap burning coals on his head. Here's the big thing. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. See, Absalom experienced evil and then was overcome by evil and then that evil accelerated in the chapters to come. You'll see that happen. And if someone hurts you, nothing you can do about that hurt. The only way you can stop further hurt in your heart, getting angry and uh, vengeful, is when you begin to think good towards that person. Pray for their well-being. Do that. If you've hurt, if you have, just pray that life will go well for that person. Leave God to sort out what he has to do. He is a great promise giver. Vengeance is his. Wonderful thing is, if your hands are emptied with vengeance, you have both hands now ready to do good. Use your hands for that. And pray for that end as well. But let me stop there, because our 25 minutes is up. Um, and let me ask you to take one minute to talk to God about what he has said to us this evening. I just speak to him quietly, privately in yourself. Uh, speak to God about what might be uh, a lesson for you to learn from this passage. And after a minute, I'll pray. And then we can have questions. And you can maybe say whatever you want to say or ask whatever you want to ask at that point. But let's have a moment of quiet first. Well, let me pray. In Isaiah chapter 16, verse 5, it says, Then a throne will be established in steadfast love, and on it will sit in faithfulness in the tent of David, 
one who judges and seeks justice and is swift to do righteousness. Father, we do want to thank you that the one who sits in the tent of David is the Lord Jesus. And we thank you that his throne will be established. And thank you that he will judge and seek justice and be swift to do righteousness. Please help us, Father, to really delight in that this week. It is such good news. And please help us, because of that promise, to trust him to do the justice thing. And help us to pray for those who persecute us and to do good to those who hate us. And we pray for your help to do that, that we might be healed of our anger and revenge. And we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Amen.